Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of our podcast where we talk about nursing and healthcare and we throw in a little true crime and some news stories to, you know, help facilitate the conversation. So this week I have a very special guest who has been on the podcast before. Advocate Maggie is back in the studio to talk with us about these really interesting cases. Hey, Maggie, how are you doing? Well, sister, how are you? Thank you for having me back on. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Yes, I'm really happy to have you on. I got to meet you in Austin when I went down there for the Nurse Creator Con. That was so much fun. I can't wait. Next year, Las Vegas. It's going to be so much fun. Next year, it may be in um, either like end of October or beginning of November, something like that. It's not completely solidified, but it is going to be in Las Vegas. That we do know. So Perfect. I'm excited If you guys that. haven't come, you guys need to come out. It's a good time. You learn lots. Oh, absolutely. Was, thank you for putting that on. Honestly, I got to meet some new people, got exposed to some different information. So anyone who, even if you want to stay at the bedside and you want to learn something new to keep your nursing soul regenerated, you can do both. So mm-hmm. please, yeah, thank you, Tina, for doing that. I appreciate that a lot. Yes, absolutely. And just before we get started with our stories, remind just kind of remind everybody what you do and about your service that you offer to nurses. Sure. So I've been just a little history, just so you understand kind of my journey, been a nurse for 22 years, master prepared, ICU, ER, pre-op, PACU, endo, IR, cath lab, everywhere but labor and delivery by choice. And then I spent a short period of time at the Board of Nursing as an investigator. That's what changed my life. And I learned some things and I was exposed to some things that were concerning to me. I left, I became an activist became an expert witness for both civil and criminal law. I don't do civil anymore. I just do administrative. So I advocate for nurses and I help nurses and their legal team when they're under investigation by their board. That's awesome. Amazing service. And Maggie is amazing. You should be following her on social media. Where can they find you? Your TikTok is advocates for nurses. Yeah, I don't get crazy. Everything is at at all my handles on everything is at advocates number four nurses. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. CBD Stat, they're amazing products. Love them. They support our podcast. Their CBD product is some of the absolute purest CBD out there. And some of my friends use it for headaches. I personally use it for foot pain. It helps with some people with their back pain. It's truly an amazing product. And they are so good to healthcare professionals. Such a good company. You know, I was able to use their product for the first time after you and I returned from Washington, D.C. for the Nurses March. They provided me with some samples. 
and I used it on a sore knee and then later on a sore wrist. And it helped so much. My daughter even uses it on her back for her scoliosis. And it really does help. That's amazing. And of course, their products are 100% THC free, which is great for travel nurses who have to take a drug test every three months. They only offer very strong CBD greater than 1,000 milligrams. If you're interested, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. That's cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they'll know that we sent you there. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. Well, I guess we can get started then with this story. This is a little different. It's a kind of an espionage type of story. It's something kind of different. Sometimes I we have like week in, week out of kind of dark stories where we talk about things that are just it just gets so dark that I have to just go in the other direction for, you know, for a change. And so that it's, you know, it's still uh, not exactly a happy story. I mean, it's a true crime story, but it, it's at least, you know, it doesn't have some of the devastation that some of my other stories have. So sure. <laughs> just to let you guys know, this is the story of Jamie Lee Henry, who was 39 and Anna Gabriellen, who was 36 when all this transpired, which actually this is a relatively current story. I'll just tell you guys that right now. If you're listening to this right now in 2022, this story really just broke like a couple of months ago. Henry is a United States Army doctor and is said to have been the first active duty officer to come out as transgender. Henry also was a major in the U.S. Army came out as a trans woman during an interview with BuzzFeed in 2015. So they received permission to change their name and pronouns a year before the Obama administration lifted the ban on outed trans service members in 2016. A press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office uses he, him pronouns to refer to Henry. But according to a spokesperson, Henry had most recently used male pronouns, but Henry's representatives declined to comment. So it's a little bit up in the air about that. But at one point, it was understood that they were using they and their pronouns. So Anna Gabriellen, the spouse of Henry, is an anesthesiologist and anesthesiology instructor at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Gabriellen is reported to be fluent in English and Russian. So the couple has been accused, and I will say this is not something that has gone through the court system and they, you know, have been found that are guilty or this is, a, like I said, a relatively new story. When we're talking about this, the this article that we, and it's all over the news. And it, it, if you read the news articles, this is the United States government and they, they don't mince any words <laughs> to, to them. Yeah. To them, this happened, but we, to us, this is alleged, you know, of course you are innocent until proven guilty in our country. So the couple allegedly provided confidential United States government information to Russia to assist its war efforts against Ukraine. 
So they've been charged with conspiracy and the disclosure of individual identifiable health information, according to a press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office for Maryland. Both reside in Rockville, Maryland, and the charges have been issued from a federal grand jury. These are serious charges. Federal. Federal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You just don't. I mean, I've done some stories in the past that involve the federal government, whether it's Medicare fraud or the DEA, opioid being opioids illegally, whatever. It just never ends well. It just doesn't. No, you're not um, working again. You're not holding a license. You're not working again. Not in this country. No. You're not. No, you're lucky not to be in prison. So Correct. during the time of the alleged conspiracy, Henry worked as a staff internist stationed at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, the home of Army's. 18th Airborne? Yeah. 18th Airborne? Is that right? I believe so. Headquarters. Yeah, headquarters of the United States Army Special Operations Command and the Womack Army Medical Center. Henry held a secret level security clearance. That's a big deal. It is. I've actually had one. Really? Yeah, I worked at Lackland in the trauma ICU and anyone, I was a contractor. Everyone who works at those installations has to undergo some kind of security clearance. So as a provider, I did have a security clearance. Yeah, it's not easy. Probably to not to his them. level, but... Yeah, and there are different levels. I, I did have a I would say this clearance. one must have been way on up there. <laughs> In mid-August of 2022, as I said, this just happened, Gabrielle was contacted by an undercover U.S. agent under the guise of being from the Russian embassy. Gabrielle had reached out to the Russian embassy to offer her and her spouse's assistance to the Russian government several months earlier, according to the indictment. They arranged a meeting in a Baltimore hotel, according to, according, again, I keep wanting to say according to the <laughs> indictment, because it, I, you know, I, I want to make it perfectly clear <laughs> that I am not saying that they did these things. I'm saying that's what the indictment said. But Gabrielle and said that she was, quote, motivated by patriotism toward Russia and wanted to aid even if it meant risking jail time. She also allegedly told the undercover agent that her spouse, Henry, could disclose how the U.S. military sets up hospitals during war and on the training provided to the Ukrainian military. She warned that any information they pulled needed to be, quote, massively important and, quote, for something tactically advantageous, not just to check if this person has polyps. Wow. That's seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That is quite sinister, really, if that's if this all happened the way that it looks like it, you know, the way that it's listed out in the indictment. Oh, my gosh. Henry allegedly claimed to have been looking to volunteer to join the Russian army after the conflict in Ukraine began, but didn't have the necessary combat experience. So during the meeting with this undercover agent, Henry reportedly told the agent, until the United States actually declares war against Russia, I'm able to help as much as I want. At that point, I'll have some ethical issues I have to work through. Hmm. Just a couple. Just a few. (laughs) Man. Gabriellen allegedly replied, you'll work through those ethical issues. So who knows who the, I don't know. Again, I really almost don't want to comment too much on it just because they, they haven't gone through the court system and we are innocent until proven guilty. And so you really don't know 
all of the circumstances. We don't really, all we know is what's in this indictment. All we know is what's in this press release. So that's, we're, we've literally heard one side of the story so far. The couple reportedly suggested that they could provide the undercover agent with medical information from members of the U.S. military and their families from Fort Bragg, where Henry was stationed as a staff internist, as well as from Johns Hopkins, where Gabriellen worked in Baltimore. A week after the meeting with the undercover agent, Henry appeared to be in a state of turmoil and hesitated in handing over the sensitive information. Gabriellen reportedly contacted the undercover agent again and called her spouse a coward who was concerned about HIPAA violations, those pesky HIPAA violations. <laughs> I mean, you're concerned about HIPAA violations, but you're not concerned about conspiring. Treason? treason? You're not worried about treason? You're worried about HIPAA? I'm sorry. Wait, what? Let me just be perfectly clear. I have said multiple times on this podcast how important HIPAA is and how serious HIPAA violations are. So I am not in any way trying to minimize that. Oh, no. But you've got to be kidding me here. (laughs) Treason. I mean, really. So... She said she had no concerns and violated HIPAA all the time. That's really, that's comforting, is it not? Yeah, just, I mean, I mean, we're patients too, right? I mean, we're- Absolutely. Yes, we're healthcare workers, but we also, are, we can be patients. And I would hope that my, my healthcare providers would be taking it seriously. So she had also made arrangements for her, Henry, and their children to flee the country to Turkey should the need to avoid prosecution arise. I don't want to end up in jail here with my kids being hostages over my head, she allegedly told the undercover agent. Gabrielle also recommended Henry read a book from the 1980s about how Russian spies were trained and recruited during the conflict with the Soviet Union in order to prepare, I guess, prepare them for what they were about to do. (laughs) This is like we're doing research, I guess. (laughs) Do some recon, baby. Do some recon, baby. This is very strange. This is just very strange. Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast, and they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or family nurse practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. So Gabrielle allegedly told the undercover agent when she was talking about recommending the book, because it's the mentality of sacrificing everything and loyalty in you from day one. That's not something you walked away from. She's referring back to that book, you know, talking about the 1980s. So whether it was their spouse's words or inspiration from the book, Henry and Gabrielle met again, once again, with the undercover agent to deliver on their promise to hand over confidential medical information. And according to the indictment, they intended to release the information of the spouse of someone employed by the Office of Naval Intelligence, a veteran of the U.S. Air Force, a retired Army officer, a current Department of Defense employee, and the spouse of an army veteran and the two spouses of two deceased army veterans. I, it just seems so incredibly 
cold and cruel to be including family members. I don't agree with any of it. I'm not saying that. But if this really happened, to be throwing spouses under the bus is kind of hard to understand. That's just like a whole other level. It just takes it up to yeah. a whole other level. Yeah. So the couple was arrested in September of 2022 and they could face a maximum of 10 years in prison if convicted and a maximum of five years for disclosing individually identifiable health information. I'm kind of surprised that it's only 10 years. There's no way. Yeah. I mean, each I, I, offense? May, I don't know. Maybe it's going to depend on what they are charged, officially charged with, you know, because they'll, they can start out charging them with something and then add charges later on. We've I don't seen know. That. We've seen that. Well, isn't it like $50,000 for every HIPAA violation? Ooh, I don't know. I so, so yeah, there could be a lot of there's well, there definitely will be a, a lot of financial repercussions for this, no matter what, because I mean, unless they're completely found of everything, and somehow they're that none of this really happened at all this way, they're at least going to have lots of attorneys fees, court costs and all of that stuff. Well, and if even one of those violations of HIPAA is true, you and I both know about your license. Yeah. No. And the repercussions, because they'll be standing in front of at least two courts of law. They both hold a license, so they will stand in front of administrative law as they are standing in front of criminal. Because the second you're fingerprinted, that gets sent right over to the board, and they open up a case against you. Because I don't know about physicians. I assume they're fingerprinted like nurses are. Nurses are fingerprinted to hold a license in most states. Yeah, I know. I had to be fingerprinted in our state. But yeah, Texas just went 2017. All the nurses had to be fingerprinted. And let me tell you what happened then. We got lots of cases. <laughs> Think about it. Oops. <laughs> because some nurses won't disclose. And then now we have your fingerprints. And there it is. Interesting. File that one away. I know. I just did a story a few weeks ago about a nurse who actually was overseas in Monaco. And when he came back to the United States, he went back to Texas and they tried to not disclose what he had been accused of and had served prison time for in, in Monaco. And then he lost his license because he didn't disclose it. Now, had he disclosed it, would they have allowed him to keep his license? I don't know. Well, I mean, he was convicted and served time. Yeah. So just imagine what that crime had to be. So yeah, that does most states allow a nurse to reapply for their license after five years, hmm. depending on the conduct. Right, like that nurse, I just hope get her back, her license back last year. She mm -hmm. was the pressure ulcer case. It was a civil case that went administrative, waited the five years, and then we reapplied for her license in Illinois. And she just got her license back in Illinois. And that was a case where the patient developed a pressure ulcer, right, in well, the facility? Yeah, so, and it is a larger animal because she, her husband was active duty. She did not update her address like the board tells you. She was named in a civil suit, found negligent in that. The board of nursing found out about it, sent her a letter and this, in Texas. Well, she had not updated her address. So by the time, right, they got a hold of her it was shown as like she was just ignoring them. They automatically move against your license. They automatically move towards revocation. If you ignore allegations against your license or you don't respond with them within 30 days, they're not going to search for you. That's not their job. So it that's not a good example, but it became this huge animal. But by several things, right? The civil case and then not keeping your address updated. Had she had done that, we may not have to have tackled that whole animal 
So this is a teachable moment for those of yes, you that are is. listening that are nurses <laughs> and, and nursing students and every all of you that are listening. It is very important to keep in touch with the board and make sure that if you move, they have your new address. And travelers, travelers, listen up here. If you're a traveler, I don't care if letter goes to your mama's house. Who's going to be able to get a certified letter in the mail? Who can call you and say, hey, I know you're in Alaska right now on a travel contract, but you have a certified letter from the board of nursing here. So can I sign for it or do me sign for it? And then I'll send it to you. So you always have to have a permanent address where you can get mail. The board of nursing doesn't care what you're doing in your life. Good to, that's really good to know. I mean, that, there's so many things I feel like as a nurse that we can just be blissfully ignorant, you know, of, and then all of a sudden get smacked in the face with some law or some rule or regulation. And it bites us before we realize that, you know, it's almost too late and, and to try and then you get into a mess you're trying to undo. So this is a good instance of a nurse that I'm working with who is immigrating to this country who applied for a license in California, sent the information when they went to go reach out to that country to say, hey, just need to verify that they went to school. That school had like closed down or transitioned. They said, nope, we don't know who that person is. They moved against that person's license as being, you are asking for a fraudulent license. A decade later, literally just working with this person, trying to get a license in Missouri and just found out. They literally moved against his license. I looked it up and it does say that he fraudulently provided information to the board, which is not true. Has his transcript and everything. They had just reached out to the wrong school. Point being, he did not update his address. The board tried to reach out to him did not get those letters, even though they're asking for a license, didn't respond to say, hey, we need really that information from the school, never responded to that, now is looking for a license a decade later, now is probably going to have three states move against possibly his ability to hold a license. We have to be careful. We chose to be professionals. You know, we've this profession has advanced over the years into a profession, a, a career and we are held accountable for our actions. We're held accountable for the knowledge that we're supposed to have. And for, I mean, we carry around a, a huge responsibility on our shoulders for taking care of the public, for taking care of people. And there, I would not want it to be any other way. I mean, you know, I... Well, and in the board's <laughs> defense, because if they send you a letter, say it's not something certified, say they send you something and has your license information on it, and you no longer live there, that's how we get these nursing imposters, because now they have your license number, which they would have never had before, because you didn't update your address, now the person living there now has your license number, and that has happened. Everyone has opened up that pamphlet and seen these imposters and like, well, how can that happen? Because there are nurses that don't up- update their address... People get their mail, and now they have their license number right off of it. Well, that just kind of gives you guys a little window into what Maggie does (laughs) as an advocate for nurses. And it's pretty amazing, and it's something that is needed. And there aren't a lot of people doing what she does. There aren't a lot of people that are qualified to do what she does, because I think a lot of times people who go in that direction just keep going in that direction, and they don't necessarily ever look back. But what she did is she kind of went in the direction of, I guess, the oversight and going into going that direction of the the board and overseeing nurses, but then kind of 
had an experience that made her want to go back and help nurses understand how to keep from getting into trouble because there's really nobody doing that for us, really, if you think about it. There's no one. And we're just kind of out there hoping that we're doing everything okay. And then we get in trouble. And we don't really have anyone that, that understands that system. Correct. And then there's like shame that comes along with that they shouldn't be there. So I try to support nurses in that manner. Because if you make a medication error, something happens, right? And you know this, right? I mean, we've all seen this with all these nurses. And that's the what the nurse carries far exceeds the punishment that they get from the board, honestly, right? The shame that we exhibit to one another and then they carry. So I try to also support them, you know, couple them with other nurses. I have a support group that they can walk amongst and, you know, hook up with one another and try to support one another because it is a lot. And if a patient dies, again, unintentionally, you already know that wrecks someone. That will wreck you. So uh, supporting these nurses' mental health is very important to me. Absolutely. Well, guys, if you if you've found yourself in this situation, you could definitely reach out to Maggie and she can offer some help for you. So I guess that kind of wraps it up, you know, for this, this bad doctor story, prosecutors were very disturbed that the this couple attempted to go through with this plan. And they say that the Russian government could have really used this information to exploit or blackmail individuals, which is very scary, if you really, you know, really think about that. And you know, once again, this is all alleged. We'll keep an eye on the story and kind of see how it progresses. You never know with these things. Sometimes they just disappear out of the media because they take a, a plea deal and just want to want it to all go away. So we'll kind of we'll keep an eye on it and see if we can see where it goes. Great story, sister. Great story. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house and I love it. 
I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house. So it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. But we've got a really fascinating good doctor story. And I always like to, like whichever profession I pick on for the bad doctor, the, the bad, you know, kind of the true crime story, I like to try to redeem them for the good portion of it. And at least it is a doctor. And I am so amazed by this guy because I live in a, I live in a city. I was telling Maggie this before. Um, it's not a huge city, but it's big enough that we have plenty of resources here But I have worked as a travel nurse in some very rural areas where people are hours away from, I guess, maybe specialized medicine. Maybe they may have a primary care physician, but as far as specialized medicine, they would have to drive hours. And so that is sort of what we're talking about with this story. Dr. Sanjeev Aurora. Nearly 20 years ago, this sort of event happened with him that sparked an idea for him. And it has, I feel like, just really changed the world and no telling how many people have been saved because of his actions. But I want to kind of tell this little story of what happened with with him because it's, and I will warn you guys, it's kind of a sad story, but it's what sort of inspired him to do what he did. So Dr. Aurora says that he walked into his clinic one day 20 years ago to find a 43-year-old woman with hepatitis C that was seeking treatment for the first time after an initial diagnosis eight years earlier. So that is just absolutely heartbreaking to think of, you know, her being diagnosed with hepatitis C eight years before and just not able to seek treatment. But she, he asked her, why did you not, you know, seek treatment before now? And she said she couldn't afford to take time off of work to make the five hour trip to oh Albuquerque. My gosh. Yeah. She was also a widow. She had two children to care for. And so she finally sought help when her abdominal pain began interfering with her ability to work. So the untreated hepatitis C had caused advanced liver cancer that was not suited for surgery or liver transplantation, and she died six months later. So that is just a heartbreaking story, and I can just imagine how he must have felt because he said it was there was an eight-month wait to see him. So in his mind, he's thinking, you know, even – when she decided to seek treatment, she probably had to wait a long time, you know, even to be able to see him. But he's also, I'm sure, considering all the other patients out there who need help. So the medicine and expertise needed to treat that patient's illness were available. And that's what's so sad. She could have been treated, but she died because the doctor in her community did not have the expertise required to treat her disease. And that isn't to say that doctor's not a good doctor, but you can't be a specialist in everything. That's just not possible. There's medicine changes too frequently, and there are so there 
so many changes that happen all the time and different ways of treating different diseases. So once you drill down into one body system, then that provider is going to become you know, an expert, they will then have seen all of the results of these different types of treatments and, and, and learning also about all these different types of treatments and new things that are coming down the pike. And if you're a primary care provider, you can you see things at a higher level, and I am sure are trying to learn all you can about everything that you can, but you have lots of patients to see. And so by the time you get to something specific like this, you're delegating that off to a specialist for a reason. And it's because you know that the specialist is going to be the best person to be able to handle Absolutely. the care. Well, it really frustrated him. And, you know, that mother's story was one of many that he witnessed in his clinic. And at the time, there were 28,000 patients with hepatitis C in New Mexico, and only 1,500 had been treated. People wow. were... Yeah, people were dying of a treatable and curable disease because they couldn't access timely treatment. So he decided to take action. And this is right off of the ADU website talking about the ECHO project, which I'm going to get into in just a minute. So first, he sent out his protocol for treating hepatitis C to primary care physicians across the state. Now, how amazing is this? Because what good does that do him? Does he benefit from this in any way? He is just wanting to help people. So he's saying, hey, I know how to take care of these patients, but I can't be everywhere all at once. But I can share with these other physicians how I take care of these patients, and then they can apply that same protocol. And that's amazing. Yes, it is amazing. But he soon realized that simply providing the right information wasn't enough. To master the complexity of treating hepatitis C, the providers needed something more. So Dr. Aurora recruited primary care clinicians throughout the state to create a virtual community of practice or a space where doctors could learn from experts and each other, where they could discuss real-life case examples that offered insight on New Mexico's unique patients and systems. In one year, these clinicians became experts in the treatment of hepatitis C, the first success story of the global organization now known as Project Echo. So global. Yeah. That's Is that phenomenal. Not cool? Good for him. I know. I, you know, it started in New Mexico, but it's branched out to the entire world now. And it is really, really amazing. So they launched this in 2003. It's a guided practice model that uses an all teach, all learn framework with video conferencing technology and case-based problem solving to reduce disparities in underserved and remote areas. The ECHO model has a hub and spoke structure. Teams of subject matter experts at regional, national, and global centers or hubs Connect with community-based participants in weekly virtual meetings that include educational briefs, case presentations, and discussion. In this way, participants create the spokes by mastering and passing on best practices for creating change within their own communities in multiple disciplines, including healthcare, education, and civics. I just think that's amazing. I love that. I think that's spot on. I really do. And what a trailblazer. I mean, you're talking about two decades ago. You're talking about like telemedicine, telehealth, telecommunication two decades ago. Yes. That's spot on. Exactly. And I'm very proud of him. And I just am so happy for all of the people. There's just, I'm sure, no way to know all of the people that have benefited from that 
his just spark of creativity and his desire to want to help people and act on it. You know, it's one thing if are inspired to try to help people, we're frustrated by the system or we're frustrated by what we see, we pe- see people suffering. It's a whole other thing though, to really take action and try to put something into, into place that is going to do something and actually make a difference. But that's exactly what he did. Right. To leave his lane, to actually take the extra time and energy and resources. And just like you said, it, it completely selfless completely selfless because he's been called to help other people has a gift and knowledge obviously well enough you know past in his career where he is an expert and able to manage those disease processes that he's got an eight month wait list a that's just concerning in itself you know makes me a little bit sad but that recognized that need and then just like you said became an innovator and had to invest some time energy money for this project so good for him i hope you know i saw that he had some recognition as well it wasn't a Nobel Prize, but I saw on the bottom there that he won, you know, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah. He has been recognized for his efforts. And I, I just, I can't help but think, you know, I kind of doubt that's the reason that he did all of that. I think that he truly, especially after watching some of the videos, like interviews from him, he just seems so genuine humble. and just so humble. Yes. Humble, humble is not what I felt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and having worked in rural areas, as I said earlier, myself, remember being frustrated at just feeling like we aren't able to take care of these people when I worked in this really small hospital. And they're just, if there's not a physician there that can handle, you know, whatever the procedure is that the patient needs, there is no, what are you going to do? There is nothing that you can do. You literally just have to wait. And especially during COVID, I mean, that- Wow. It was bad. It was really bad. Think about if you do have to leave your home. When my grandmother was in the Cleveland clinic, she was one of 18 people ever diagnosed with her disease, which happened to affect her liver. It was a blood disease that crystallized her liver because it was blood related. Even if she got a new liver, it was still going to damage her liver. So even when she was there, we were displaced, right? We're in a different city. What does that cost you to eat, to sleep, to, you know what I mean? So now you're going to get treatment somewhere else. What's the cost of gas? Do you have a vehicle? Can you even get there? Who's going to watch your children? So add that on top of you're already sick. Now you have to incur all these expenses. So now what he has done is hands down, allow them to stay in their communities to get the care and resources that they need right in their communities by their own providers. And only that people they trust. They've been seeing Dr. Smith. My mom saw Dr. Smith. My dad saw Dr. Smith, right? They feel comfortable with that provider that's been in their community who knows them and their family. They stand at church with them, right? They go to the grocery store. So those are the people that they trust. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast to talk with me about these stories. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy having conversations with you and some of the interesting stories that you have to share with us and all of the insight that you have to share with us. We have a lot of nursing students that listen to this podcast, lots of nurses, lots of new nurses. And I, even if you're not a new nurse, I feel like you could, there's always things that you can learn. learn I feel like, all the time. Yeah, we just don't know. I mean, I feel like there's we don't know what we don't know. I've said that so many times. And then all of a sudden you find it out and you're just like, oh, I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to be doing that. So I really appreciate people like you who are out there trying to help people. Thank you. I know I'm like Debbie Downer 
because I deal with the one percenters. And I know my man was just calling me Wednesday. I don't know if you guys have seen Wednesday yet. I mean, she can be a little bit of a Debbie Downer, but I'm just about the facts. I can't help it that I know these facts. Just like you pointed out, I also have been in a unique experience where I was a practicing bedside critical care nurse for a long time before I ever crossed the border nursing and was trained as an investigator. Then before I cross-trained and became a civil expert, before I cross-trained and became an administrative expert, like there won't be a lot of people who have that unique experience. Mm -hmm. So I know I can be animated if you see me on TikTok, but it's my love for nurses, right? And so I do want to be able to provide knowledge, education to nurses. And I don't know everything. And if I don't know it, I'm going to help you find it. We're going to help find it. But so I know that I'm alive and I can be animated and, but it's just because I have mad love and respect for my people and my profession. Well, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with being animated. I think a lot of people are (laughs) probably, you know, really entertained by that, that that sort of thing. There's nothing wrong with being animated and passionate for sure. I get passionate. I get passionate sometimes, but I also know that my, the way that my personality is like, I may, I sometimes feel really passionate on the inside, but it doesn't come out. And I've been told that before. I'm a critical care nurse and I've been told like, you know, in the middle of total chaos and everything's just completely burning down to the ground, like just patient crashing, coding, I mean, just all the craziness. And then after it's all said and done, you know, I've had people just be like, wow, how are you like so calm in the middle of all that? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't feel calm on the inside. (laughs) I have no idea why. (laughs) It's just who I am. Uh, but also have people say, quality. I also have people say they love to listen to my podcast because it helps them go to sleep at night. So I, just I don't know about that. I think it's just, I don't know. Some people are comforted by true crime stories. It's a, oh, well, there it's you a, go. It's a weird, it's a weird <laughs> thing. <laughs> I might even put myself in that umbrella. I don't know. I well, enjoy thank you. you so much, well, Maggie. So- I appreciate you being here and... Remind everybody where they can find you. Absolutely. You can always text me, 512-766-8945. It's my Google voice. You're not going to disturb me. And then everything is advocatesfornurses.com at Gmail, all my handles, Twitter, TikTok, IG, all the words, all the words. And you guys know you can find me on social media at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And you can email me at Tina at GoodNurseBadNurse.com in a of course, appreciate your to rate and review the podcast. I have to now say that every week just to remind people to do it. Do it, um, do it. I know. I'm just like, you guys, because if, if, you, if you don't tell people who enjoy the podcast, like if you don't ask for people to do that, the people who get on here and get offended by something I say, some random thing, they're, they will <laughs> absolutely ask. go on there. So I've learned my lesson to ask. <laughs> please. If you like it, please go on. If you don't like it, you really don't have to. You could just there go. You go. I, I know you there won't, you though. I know you'll <laughs> let me know. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> well, I also want to remind you guys before I go that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Mm-hmm.